Hi, I'm your host, Karina Gantis, and you're listening to a special edition of Behind the Pen for the NAPOD POMO National Podcast Post Month. I'm Queen Agantis, your host for Behind the Pen. Welcome to another episode. I am an award-winning author of 14 books, a podcaster, YouTuber, booktuber, an award-winning filmmaker, and I run Author Assist, which helps uh, independent authors with their marketing and promotion. And I'm also the host of the radio show, Author Assist, on the Artist First Radio Network. Today, my special guest is Mark Bello. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. Nice to be here. Whereabouts are you in this big world? I am in Michigan. Detroit, in Michigan. the US. Wonderful. How is everything over there? Um, it's a nice day today. It's supposed to storm later, so oh. I started I started writing later in life after practicing law for 45 years. So I'm kind of a uh, a um, newcomer to this genre if you will law for 45 years wow i practiced law for 45 years uh as a senior citizen what, what what happened was in in the 1980s i was handling a, a rather complicated case involving uh two kids who were uh, sexually abused by a catholic priest yeah and the case was so troubling to me, not just how the priest behaved, but how the church behaved. Yeah. And it felt like some kind of CIA cover-up conspiracy. And I said to myself, boy, this would be a very interesting book. Uh, 30 years later, as I, as I retired or slowly retired and, and downsized my practice, uh, I decided to uh, sit down and write it. I had picked it up probably three, four times earlier, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, but finally, at age 65, I sat down and actually wrote the book. Wow. And that's, uh, that's Betrayal of Faith, my first novel. So... Let's go back to uh, law enforcement, 25 years. I mean, uh, what were you actually doing? What was your title? How were you? What was your job within the law? I, I, I represented people, uh, usually people who were uh, damaged or, in, or injured or hurt by either another person, uh, a company, a corporation, the mm -hmm. government, uh, police officers. I handled cases uh, for people who were damaged in some way by those types of uh, citizen versus an insurance company versus the government versus mm -hmm. the corporation. That's what I, I, I'm kind of a David 
versus Goliath. Goliath, yeah, most definitely. In 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 the United States, mm. you must go to undergraduate school. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, that takes four years. There are people who are uh, brilliant and can get it done quicker than that. Uh, I happen to have done it in three years, not because I'm brilliant, but because, <laughs> but because the uh, way the school I went to handled semesters, they made it pretty easy to take extra courses in the spring and summer and graduate in three years rather than four. I then wasted the extra year by not going to law school right away. I took a year off and then went to law school the following May. And how long in law school were you in for? Law school was three years. That's three years. And then when you finished there, you had the qualification of being a lawyer. You have to take the bar exam. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like in, in, in the UK, but in the States, it's you have, you have to take the bar exam in the state you, put, you plan to practice. Mm -hmm. Or in all of the states, some people take multiple bar exams across the country. Uh, I took the Michigan bar, only the Michigan bar, and I passed it. Uh, some people don't pass it their first time. I passed it my first time, <laughs> and I've been a lawyer ever since. Wonderful. So what was it that made you, because, I mean, there are so many different types of lawyers and, and different um, cases that you're working on and what have you. What made you go for that what made you want to work for these plaintiffs of uh, injury well I'm, I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret about choosing the type of law you want to practice there are some lawyers who know when they graduate law school that they want to do this or that mm -hmm. i would say that's a very small number of people mm -hmm. at least at least people of my generation, if you're very, very smart, if you have great credentials and you're a great student, you can write your own ticket and people will recruit you. If you're the average guy like I was, what happens is you start begging people for a job and someone hires you. The person who hired me did personal injury law. Gotcha. And that became my profession. Now, having said that, I enjoyed it. Yeah, good. I loved it. I liked helping citizens, uh, David citizens beat Goliath corporations and government officials who have wronged them. Yeah, I enjoyed the work, and that's part of the reason I stuck with it. But I, 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 again, like I said, typically a person who is not a top ten candidate basically goes out, looks for a job, and finds one, and works in, in whatever the, field of law that is. Now, yeah, correct. Now let's suppose that I found a job, you know, as a divorce lawyer. I would not have enjoyed divorcing people, separating families. Um, that would not have been my cup of tea, so I probably wouldn't have stuck with it. Stay there, yeah. Gotcha. 
Um, so this, how did this um, trial land on your lap when you are a personal accident and injury lawyer and right. you get that case of the Catholic Church versus the two children? Right. How did you get hold of that? Because I would have thought that would have gone to someone, you know, different than than what you were practicing. Oh, I, that's not that's not so. I, that was right up my alley. Uh, a, a a trial lawyer. It's a trial lawyer's case. Mm -hmm. uh, there are many trial lawyers these days who do that kind of work as a subspecialty and only oh. do and only do those kinds of cases back then there weren't that many of those cases around mm. uh, the the clergy abuse scandal was a dirty little secret that the mm -hmm. catholic church liked to keep and they pay off and silence victims mm -hmm. and try to prevent them from litigating them Mm. Uh, I was one of the first people to handle one of those types of cases back in the 80s. I had been a lawyer for seven years. I had a pretty standard personal injury practice. I was on my own uh, with a partner. Mm -hmm. and, to and together, we basically took on this uh, monstrous organization that did very, very nasty things to prevent people from finding out that they were doing the kinds of things they were doing. So when you say David and Goliath, it basically is because it's you and your partner who run this little law firm and you're now going up against, not just the priests, you are going up against the Catholic church, you're going up against the Pope. When, when it landed on your lap and you saw it and you thought, we can do this, you know, this is something that needs, that I'm interested in doing, and I know I can win this, and I'm going to go for it, and your partner was okay with that, and you're going to work together on that. How scared were you going up against something like that, Mark, seriously? It, it didn't occur to me that way. It, it, it certainly was that way, don't get me wrong, mm. but you know, two people come to your office. The case was re referred by a, a client who I represented who actually had a little fall in a grocery store. It wasn't, it wasn't like some, you know, large uh, media friendly monolith referred me this large case. It was a really small client uh, and a small case client who referred me this case. Um, what appealed to me, frankly, was the injustice done. Of course. The, be the behavior that uh, this family was forced to endure. Uh, the, the case happened when these two boys were 12 and 13, mm -hmm. the priest was criminally convicted mm -hmm. and uh, imprisoned for only six months. 
he pled guilty to a small uh, fourth degree criminal sexual conduct charge, which was far less than what he was guilty of. And the case went away. <laughs> the, the church basically guilted guilted the mother and the kids into keeping quiet. What the mother didn't know was that there were prior incidents involving this same priest that they covered up the same way. With other children, yeah. So you had a case that happened in the early 70s where this priest molested four boys. And you had my case that happened in the middle 70s where he molested two boys. And there are apparently, I'm finding out these days because the Even more. Michigan Attorney General is, is doing an investigation now, right now as we speak, um, against this very same priest. And there are other children who have been uh, discovered to be victims of his. But back then, I didn't think of it in terms of, oh my God, it's the Pope. Oh my God, it's the... Vatican or yeah. it's Italy. I, I looked at it as a local priest and a local diocese were guilty of not only abusing two children, but covering up the behavior. And I felt it was important to expose that kind of behavior. I was hired by the family to get damages, money damages for the family uh, to uh. make it this to make the church and the priest pay for what they had done besides his criminal incarceration did they, the family receive anything oh yes uh, oh. we did quite we did quite well for for our clients you know the the troubling thing she came to me basically to have the church her boys were troubled they were having problems um, emotionally yeah, dealing course. with these issues. Yeah. And what she originally wanted was medical care. She mm -hmm. wanted them to help her children find with a, a therapist uh, and for the psychological therapist, problems. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And what she got, and she expected the church to be fair. And to her surprise, they basically did everything they could to cover up the crime and deny justice. Uh, back then, as I said, clergy abuse was no more than a dirty little secret. It, it, Did she... Children were being abused, cases were being filed, they were settled with confidentiality agreements. Yeah. Victims were literally being paid for their silence. But this, this is what I'm saying, when she came to you after, if she'd signed these forms of confidentiality, I mean, did she come forward and say to you, we've been paid off and we couldn't, you know, we couldn't uh, go ahead and, and, and uh, say what we wanted to say. We had to keep silent and we, we needed the money or whatever. Um, or did she not say anything about that to you? That's correct. And, and in my first action in the case was to discuss with my client that I wanted to make this case as public as possible. Yeah. Under no circumstances would I allow the case to be quietly swept under the rug. I wasn't going to allow that. Mm -hmm. Now, the issue that you have when you're representing two people, two kids, they were at the time uh, 17, 18 now, 
it was four or five years after the event, and their mother. And the question was, were they, my clients, willing to go public with this? Mm. My first obligation is to them, not to the of public. Course. Of course. So I have to make them willing participants of that. Um, and I was able to do that. It was important, as, as I thought, to make sure that no kids following them, because the only reason that they got abused was because the people before them signed that confidentiality agreement we're talking about. And it was under Had the rug, so he got away public, with it, because he got away with it the first time, he can get away with it over and over and again. Exa exactly. Right, let's get to the book. You were, I, were you legally allowed to write a book about this exact case or did you turn it into a fiction story and change names sort of thing? The answer is yes, I turned it into fiction. Uh, the, I would say it's loosely based on the case. Mm -hmm. I, I, men I mentioned this, uh, this feeling that there was like a conspiracy, a CIA type conspiracy behind it. And that's the book I wrote. I wrote a book about a fictional organization called The Coalition, mm -hmm. whose job it is within, quote, the church. I didn't call it the Catholic Church. Yeah. To cover these kinds of things up uh, quietly and by any means necessary. And I mean by any means necessary. These people were nasty, dirty, mean people who, whose job it was to prevent public disclosure of these kinds of situations by any means possible. They, they were very, very nasty people in the book. Now, is that the way it is in real life? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, nobody ever got murdered uh, in the case I handled. Yeah, okay. I, I, can't, I can't speak for every case out there. Okay. I can't speak for every witness out there. Mm -hmm. I know that there are thousands of cases. There are other lawyers who have their stories. Uh, their behavior was pretty lousy in the real case. Mm -hmm. It's much lousier in the book. Yeah, okay. It's an so embellished version of what I went through. That's for sure. But you've, you've, you've I mean, now you're, you're, talking one-on-one -on -one with me and we're being honest and we're talking that it's yes it is based on what you went through with that case and the the um secrets and everything that went on within the the catholic church even though you don't mention the catholic church anybody reading sure. the book is going to know what you're referring to because would, it is public knowledge i would say so okay when did this get published <clears throat> in 2016 2016 it's been it's been republished uh 2019 i republished it mm -hmm. i i kind of uh, uh fixed a few things that i thought needed fixing and released okay. it again in 2019 and you self-published not with a publisher this is all you it, it is it is self-published it's been reviewed over 285 times and wow people uh, people really enjoy it that's a really I good number i think your audience will love the book Yes, I'm sure they will. Um, and all the ones, and all the ones that followed it. I've written uh, seven now. Well, I was going to say, where where are you now after that one with your debut novel? And well, that's an interesting story. Thing. That's also an interesting story. I um, 
writing Betrayal of Faith was a bucket list item for me. I practiced law for a long time, as I indicated. I never fashioned myself as an author. And I wrote the book and thought I had finished my writing bucket list. That was what I wanted to do, and I did it. The one I'm finished. And then yes. in 2016, the presidential election happened. Mm -hmm. And as Donald Trump was going around the country saying bad things about this group or bad things about that group, or he was going to do this or that to that uh, ethnic uh, group and that and this to that ethnic group, I said to myself, oh my God, uh, Mike, an anti-Muslim, anti-Latino, anti-immigrant bigot become president of the United States. Mm -hmm. Now, what I, what I want you to understand is Betrayal of Justice, my second book, was written during the presidential election. I finished it before he became president. Wow. When I, re when I released the book, people started accusing me of doing a hit job on President Trump. And my response has always been, well, no, I finished the book before he became president. If you see a similarity between my evil president and Donald Trump. That's, that's on Donald you. Trump, yeah, that's on that's you. on that's on you. That's on the reader. Yeah, that's that's not what you were writing about at all. No. What's your next book? We've done two. We've the, talked the about two. After, well, the justice is about a young Muslim woman who uh, whose mosque is bombed by a white supremacist, oh. and uh, she decides to do a little investigation of her own when she finds out that the Dearborn police, Dearborn, Michigan, which is a large, which has a large Muslim population, uh, the police do not take the crime seriously. She decides to investigate it herself and she uncovers a white supremacist conspiracy mm -hmm. to bomb the mosque. Okay. The white supremacy, the white supremacist who is guilty of the crime ends up dead. And she gets accused of murder. Oh, wonderful. Zachary Blake, the hero of Betrayal of Faith, my lawyer, uh, defends her. And at there, I'm not going to give away the end of the book, <laughs> but the police uh, in Dearborn, Michigan, come around, become much more supportive of her, <laughs> and... Uh, decide to combat white supremacy. And this third book, Betrayal in Blue, is mm -hmm. about a white supremacist, again, uh, who decides to seek revenge for what happens to the white supremacist in Betrayal of Justice. If you can, if, if you're following me. This is a book series. Three, book three with, is a book three is a is essentially a follow up to book two. Is that, I mean, is all the series with that one lawyer? Is it following his cases? Same lawyer. All all of my books are are Zachary Blake legal thrillers. We can talk about who Zachary Blake is and <laughs> uh, how much of me is in him, if you want. But but those two books go together: Betrayal mm -hmm. of Justice and Betrayal in Blue okay. are both books about uh, bringing white supremacy to its knees. 
So, so you write basically about politics and about religion, about um, the government. Um, even though it's fiction, you're taking what's happening in our world now and, and being converting it into fiction. So you're covering your ass, basically. That is correct. I, I basically take headline news and turn it into fiction and and have it and have it um, take a take a legal slant to it. Mm -hmm. I educate people as to how the legal system, both criminal and civil, mm -hmm. as I explained, there's a difference between the two. Yeah. One is one is going to jail, the other is getting money damages. Uh, but I basically try to educate the public as to how the legal system might handle these various issues. Mm -hmm. My fourth my fourth book, Betrayal in Black, is about an innocent Black man being shot in a traffic stop by a police officer. Here we go. I knew that was coming up. So that book uh, basically takes the reader through an incident like that and then tells him how or her, how the legal system would handle both the criminal case against the police officer and the civil case for the widow and her children. Mm -hmm. My fifth book, Betrayal High, does the same thing with uh, the gun industry and a school shooting. Oh, wow. Is there, is there anything you haven't covered? Oh, my gosh. And then wow. my sixth book, my sixth book is about the Me Too movement, a Truth to Power, and a Supreme Court justice nominee who has a sexual assault in his past. And the woman who he assaulted uh, makes it her mission to prevent him from getting a seat on the Supreme Court, based, of course, on, on the Kavanaugh hearings. Not, not about Brett Kavanaugh, not about Christine Blasey Ford. No, no, but, no. But it certainly was motivated by uh, that situation. So all of my books have some kind of motivation yeah, uh, you've from really... actual situations in the news. You have really uh, delved deep into the issues that uh, America, I only say America because they are in America, uh, um, are uh, coping with and, and still having to um, cope with, um, turned them into fiction. But like you say, you're, you're teaching, you're hopefully teaching the public how things work um, when it comes to the... Um, the justice system, but also the negative side of what goes, what's swept under the carpet and what is paid off to keep people quiet and, 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 and so forth, which some people don't even, you know, they're so, not naive, but they're so innocent, they don't know about that side. You know, they just see what they're told on TV and, uh, Unfortunately, believe that there's certainly some truth to what you said. Uh, a, a lot mm -hmm. of the, a lot of these things are dirty little secrets that go on behind our backs. That's for sure. Well, let me ask you before we finish up because we're well over time now. I could keep talking to you for an hour. Um, let me ask you the the books because you are taking on um, some really big issues that um, even though 
you're not um, naming them in the book, it's obvious by the reader what you're referring to. Has anyone come at you? Have you had any backlash at all from the books, from big, oh, I, the big guns? I get a lot of backlash. I, I, I wouldn't say I, I get it from, from the Goliaths of the world. I, I get, I'll give you an example. When George Floyd was murdered, and George Floyd was murdered, a jury convicted Derek Chauvin essentially of murder. Mm -hmm. So while a lot of these situations, like the George Floyd case, go unpunished, that particular one got punished. Uh, but when that happened, I went on Facebook. I had already written Betrayal in Black in 2019. George Floyd, as you know, happened in 2020. So it happened after I wrote the book. Uh, my book was a shooting, not a kneel on the neck like uh, what happened with Floyd. And I wrote a simple little post on Facebook and it went like this. How many innocent black men must die at the hands of those who swear to protect and serve until we stop this madness? Now you would think, considering that George Floyd had just happened, that people would have had the attitude, yeah, it was terrible. It was really a bad thing and we really have to stop this nonsense. Yeah. Let me, let me read you some of the responses. I, I can imagine. Why is it only black people have problems with the police? Blacks comprise 12% of the population yet are 35% responsible for all violent crime in the US. Blah, blah, blah. That's one response. If you keep voting for Democrats who use racism as a political tool, it will never end. That's another response. How many blacks, how many whites have to die? Everyone's so concerned about blacks. Have you forgotten that he tried to pass a counterfeit $20 bill? That's why he was stopped. Now, I want to refer to the last one, most of all. Uh, by the way, one more. How many innocent? A lot more have died at the hands of other black men. Now, clearly, the overwhelming response I got was negative. And it caused me to wonder, when did we in America start holding cops to a lower standard than criminals in this country. Keep in mind that we're talking about cops. Their job is to protect and serve. So to compare cops and criminals is an unfair comparison. Cops are held to a higher standard or should be. The second question I have is when did we, when did a cop obtain the right not only to stop a person and arrest that person, but to charge, try, convict, and sentence to death a person. They're, they're innocent until proven guilty in this country. Yeah, and, and this person who said, who said well, do you, did you forget he tried to pass a $20 bill, counterfeit? When did passing a $20 bill become a death sentence? There's a, there's a racist element to this. Mm. And, and the responses I got demonstrate, in my opinion, mm -hmm. the extent to which this racist element goes. So Mark, where can people find you on social media and where can they find your books? You can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, 
on LinkedIn, uh, on Goodreads. Uh, my book can be found on Amazon. My website is markmbello.com. That's M-A-R-K-M-B-E-L-L-O.com. If you go to my website, you can download my uh, Holocaust era novella, which is called the Dorba Dor, which means in Hebrew, from generation to generation. You can download that for free on my website. That'll give you a good 39 page <laughs> version of my writing. And if you mm -hmm. like the novella, you'll like my books. Uh, again, through my writing and advocacy, I try to increase public awareness. You said, um, yeah. The kinds of things we're talking about. Most of those are either on Barnes and Noble through Nook. Oh, right, good. Or, That's what or, I wanted um, to know. Yeah. Why? Or Amazon That's through good. Kindle. You right. Can, you could buy. You could buy a. Um, an electronic version on other means uh, uh, through draft to digital for instance mm -hmm. uh, is another source I'm, I'm around uh, this but, is why I wanted books... to know that it wasn't just Amazon that you gave the uh, audience the chance to buy it from somewhere else other than Amazon that's just what I, I, wanted I believe to know. you can I believe you can buy them on Apple as well I, yeah I, 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 what, you, what you can't do is go into a bookstore and find my books exactly yeah that's uh, unfortunately that's what happens with most uh, sub self-published authors we can uh, get our books out wild world but we can't get them into brick and mortar stores uh, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you Mark and um, we're going to um, keep in touch because uh, we have uh, more to talk about. Uh, thank you so much for being a guest on Behind the Pen. My pleasure. And I wish Thanks you, I wish you all the best with uh, your new books because uh, I can see you writing a few more. Thank you. <laughs>